It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. You know, something that comes up eventually, sooner or later for all of us, is when there's something wrong on our credit report that messes us up. And the problem, when you find an error, trying to get it corrected, really ugly. We're going to talk about that and what you can do. And later, we're going to talk about a new service from Walmart that is designed to really turn up the heat on competition with Amazon. And Amazon has got a bullseye on it right now. They control 40% of online sales, everybody aiming for them. All right, credit reports. I remember years and years ago, I became hyper aware of the inaccuracy of credit reports when I was buying a home and applied for a mortgage and I got a call from the mortgage broker and says, I'm really sorry, we're not going to be able to get you a loan because of that tax lien you have. And I'm like, what? So the credit bureaus use these third-party services to go through public records and they had accidentally placed a tax lien on my record that was for somebody with the reverse name. It was Howard Clark. It was a Howard Clark and they had put it on my report as Clark Howard. And it was a mess to clean up. And I thought I was going to lose the house I was buying because of how much I had to push, push, push the system that is not responsive at all to fix that error. Well, new report is that more than half of all complaints, more than half of complaints filed to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau on everything involving your wallet, every possible thing involve complaints about Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. And the credit bureaus, the core of the problem is the credit bureaus look at us as just data. We're data points. We are not their customer. I don't know if you know how behind the curtain the credit reporting system actually works, but the idea is I'm if I'm uh, Chase Bank or Citibank or whoever, I report to the credit bureau and I access reports. And the credit bureau is kind of like a bookie. They're taking money both ends of that. They're uh, charging to get the data. They're charging to sell the data. And who's the data? Or what's the data? Is a who. It's us. But the credit bureaus always have looked at things as kind of like we're just a pawn. We are, we're not even a pawn. We're not even a thing to them. We're just a problem when we have an issue with our report. And the credit bureaus have always been good playing horseshoes. Close is good enough for them. And what you don't know, well, it might hurt you, but you're not going to know. 
And I'll tell you what I learned and what you've heard me talk about for all these years, because I learned this when I was young, buying that home in the 19, early 1980s, was I learned, that's a long time ago, how important it is that you check up on your credit regularly. Because the sooner you notice an error, or let's say you notice something, oops, I didn't pay that bill, whatever. The sooner you notice, the sooner you're able to address it and fix it and document everything because the credit bureaus don't want to help you fix a problem, period. And you've got to make it in their interest that they fix the problem because you're not going away. So you've heard me talk about Credit Karma, where if you sign up for a Credit Karma account, you can monitor what's going on with two of the three major bureaus for free. You can see what's going on. You can monitor your credit. You can get an approximation of your credit score from each bureau routinely, except for, I think, experience, not part of their system. But you can see your how you take a temperature of your credit all the time. And when something pops up that they send you a notice, hey, there was a big drop in your credit score, and you go look and there's something listed there that is deadly to your credit, the sooner you notice, the sooner you get to work on fixing it, the better. And with the credit bureaus, the way it works, let's say uh, there's an item on there that you know is not right. What you do is you dispute it with whoever put it on there, whether it's the credit card company, a collection agency, whatever. You dispute with them, and at the same time, you dispute with the credit bureau that's listed it falsely on your report. That triggers an investigative period that typically is interpreted as 30 days, and you want to put the heat first on whoever put the false information out there the credit card company or whoever. And whatever documentation you have you want to supply and whatever pressure you need to apply, certified, this case certified mail is recommended. I mean, you don't have to start there because it's expensive, but you want to have a paper trail of what you've done to resolve the problem. Now, when a negative item is on your report, you are eligible to get a free copy of your report from Equifax, TransUnion, Experian, anytime you're denied credit. You're also available once a year to get a copy of your credit report for free at annualcreditreport.com. During coronavirus, they've allowed you more frequent access to your report for free. But I don't think that the normal monitoring once a year or whatever is enough. That's why I want you to do Credit Karma because it's free. You also can monitor your score for free with almost any credit card you have. Signing into their app, they make available an up-to-date credit score for you. If you see a big drop in your score, you know there's an issue. Remember how hard, what a fight it was to even get to see a credit score? I mean, you never. it was such a mystery for so long, and you advocated so much for that, I remember, um, and getting your reports, it's so much easier now. It's unbelievable. You know who America owes for that? Who? Discover Card. Hmm. Discover had a marketing genius at one point who was like, you know what? We're paying to check people's credit scores every month. 
what if we made that a customer benefit for our customers? And everybody in the credit industry was furious at Discover because this is supposed to be a big fat secret, this score. I look at it right there. Right. And Discover was like, forget that. We're going to give people their scores as a benefit of having a Discover card. It was ingenious because there was a pain point for the public and Discover solved it. And now everybody else who acted like Discover was Benedict Arnold, like how could you turn on all the other financial companies and stab us in the back and help a consumer? And now they all fall over themselves giving you access to your credit score for free. So Discover, tip my hat to you for doing that. But want you to know knowledge in this case is power. And the meek do not inherit the earth. You have to be very aggressive with the credit bureaus and anybody who posts false information about you, even if it becomes necessary to the point of suing them in small claims court, which many times is the most effective strategy with an individual problem. The other thing you can do is do file a complaint if Equifax, TransUnion, or Experian is treating you like dirt. File a complaint at consumerfinance.gov and that forces them to take another look with an internal employee instead of some outside contractor who knows where in the world. I've got some questions here. This is from Doug in South Carolina. I just got an email from Capital One saying to check my virtual cards because a purchase was denied. I deleted the suspect card but was unaware I had 101 of these babies. Should I delete them all? So, Doug, actually the virtual cards are great because it's a one-time use only number and somebody maybe with a predictive analysis tool was trying different numbers to buy things illicitly. Those virtual numbers are still a great thing. Don't delete them. Know that what they do is they protect your regular number and the system worked as it should because uh, Capital One's database knew there was an anomaly in that charge attempt and that it was not actually you and prevented it from taking place. So in your situation, the system worked exactly as it's designed. Stephen Alaska says, when my ex-wife and I got divorced, I was tasked with paying off the credit cards. This is done and they're paid off. What is the best way to either turn them off or separate my name from them without hurting either of our credit scores? These are some of the oldest accounts on either of our credit reports, and we just don't want to pay the yearly fees any longer. I think she's the primary member. How bad will it hurt me if she just pulls my name and takes them? Is there a way to just make them inactive so we don't have to pay the fees? So this is, I don't know the dynamics of your relationship with your ex-wife, but there's a lot of risk for each of you and both of you being named on cards. And most credit card companies no longer allow the issuing of co-ownership on cards because of the messy kind of situation like we're talking about here. The long aging of your cards, you still benefit from even if you clean sheet this. And what I'd like for you to do, each of you, is to get cards in your own name. You can't go to a most credit card companies and say, hey, you know, I'm not married to that person anymore. I just want you to remove them because they initially issued the credit knowing they had two people to go after, not one if a bill was not paid. 
So you take advantage of this long history each of you have with these cards, and you each apply for new cards in your own name with the same issuers or someone else, and then all those accounts that were joint, you close to eliminate the risk of one of you to the other. You cannot just kind of freeze them and have the record go on because you still have the risk that if either of you decided, hey, I want to use that card again, the other is on the hook for that card. From Sean in California, I just purchased a used premium brand vehicle. I know very bad timing, but sometimes you do stuff to make your spouse happy. We put twenty-five to 30,000 miles on our vehicles per year. It's a lot of driving. It is. They offered an extended warranty with extensive coverage. I know in general you're not a fan of aftermarket warranties, but in a case where repairs are outrageous, is there a place for them? I know I have you cringing on many levels. My guess is you're going to say that if you can't afford the repairs, don't buy the car. Wow, you're quoting back one of my phrases to me. But for this luxury vehicle, if you want to buy a used vehicle warranty, the only place to buy it is from the manufacturer of that brand. No one else. The third-party warranties, as a general rule and almost 100% of the time, aren't worth the paper they're written on. So don't even bother with that. But if you can buy one from the brand of premium used vehicle you got, then do that. Otherwise, the money you would have spent, the typically two to $4,000 you would spend on a used vehicle warranty from a luxury brand manufacturer, that money should go into a savings account dedicated just to the gotcha repairs you may have eventually on that vehicle. And I hope the vehicle turns out to be very reliable and fun to drive and own for your wife. And coming up straight ahead, Walmart keeps doing one initiative after another to say, hey, there's somebody beside Amazon here. There's us. And I want to tell you about something that they are getting ready to launch in more and more communities that I talked about as a test. I guess I forget when last year. And I want you to know how this works and what the upsides and downsides to it are. I remember how much fun I made of Amazon when Amazon, to deal with the porch pirates, wanted customers to allow Amazon delivery people to come in their home with their deliveries. And Amazon bought all kinds of home surveillance companies. They bought burglar alarm companies. They bought uh, camera companies. They bought uh, every kind of electronic device company there is, automatic garage thingies, all that, so that people would feel comfortable with Amazon coming in their home to eliminate all the package theft. Well, I don't know that people have really adapted to that at all, but hope springs eternal. And now Walmart is offering to roughly a quarter of the nation's households in a bunch of the biggest cities in the country and some smaller places as well. They're offering you the ability to have what they call in-home delivery. You pay 150 bucks a year, and it's unlimited free home deliveries, and the tip is included. The deliveries are done by Walmart employees, not third-party contractors. 
And the idea is you give them access either to your garage. Let's say you have a refrigerator in your garage and they can deliver groceries, put the frozen stuff in the freezer, the refrigerated stuff there in the the non-refrigerator freezer stuff is just sitting there. Or you can be even more bold and give them access to your kitchen in your house with a device you have to install that Walmart subsidized selling you that is a one-time use code that electronically opens the door to your home, allows them in, and they can put the groceries. Now, the problem is a lot of people may have a burglar alarm, and that adds another layer of complexity. And And dogs. Dogs. I would not be comfortable using the Walmart in-home delivery coming into the home. I would be fine if you have a garage, having them deliver into the garage, having a refrigerator in the garage, and put the stuff away. But it has proven to be a pretty popular service in the test markets. And the idea at 150 a month is that you are likely to spend less than you would going to the store because you don't buy all the impulse items. Is it 150 a year? 150 a year. Did you I said say a month, month last time. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. 150 a year. Did I say 150 a month? Just that one time. Sorry. It's, 150 it's a year. $19.95 a month. Yeah, you could pay it. You could buy it for a month for 20 bucks. See if it actually works. See if you use it. And then you want to be on the annual because it's so much cheaper, relatively speaking, at 150 a year. And you probably think I've lost my mind saying you should pay $150 a year potentially for delivery. But you think about generally Walmart is 20% cheaper on groceries than the typical supermarket in a marketplace. And if you're doing delivery using any of the third parties for grocery delivery, and you're buying from a place that you're already paying more for your groceries, there's a real case to be made for the Walmart service. Now, Walmart Plus, which is their basic thing for delivery of stuff, Walmart Plus has had real success for Walmart getting people who there's a segment of the population that will never set foot in a Walmart. They're just not going to do it. But the people who won't go in a Walmart have been very comfortable ordering from walmart.com with Walmart Plus and having deliveries done to them instead of going to the store. And that's, you know, Walmart Plus is for pretty much everything in the store, not just groceries. And it's a real convenient alternative at 100 bucks a year to Amazon Prime, which is, is that 119 so. 119 for Amazon Prime, I think. Um, because Amazon, every attempt they've made to do the grocery side of it, they've fallen flat on their face. They've just been a complete fail. Yes, 119. And Walmart has really done a better job of late with what had always been their Achilles heel, which was if you wanted to find really bad produce, just go to a Walmart. Find the the fruits and vegetables no one would ever want to eat. And that's where you would go. And Walmart 
has addressed that because I'm sure focus groups, people just let them have it about how crummy their fruits and vegetables were, their fresh produce, and they really seem to have fixed that. So this is a dual thing. You can either do the Walmart Plus for the 100 a year, and you do tip for grocery delivery on that, or if groceries are a big part of what you'd order and have delivered, you can pay 150 and do it. I was in Walmart just recently and was fascinated how much more sophisticated they've become about the shopping in the store for customers. Um, they've got very sophisticated electronic devices now to make sure they've gotten everything on people's lists. They have these wonderful rolling carts with baskets where the shopping is done in theory in an order where the non-refrigerated, non-frozen items are all picked first by the in-store shopper, and then they get the refrigerated and frozen items, and they're shopping potentially for multiple customers at once, but everything is barcoded to try to improve the accuracy of the picking, and then that picking is then done for the curbside pickup that they offer for groceries in the store or for the delivery service. And so they have, um, as Walmart usually does, it's like trying to turn around an aircraft carrier. It takes a long time to turn around such a big company, but they seem to have really become a viable multi-channel competitor to the behemoth Amazon at the same time that Amazon, in order to try, now they're in a phase, they're trying to make profits. The costs on things on Amazon have been going up up and up and away. And so Amazon has become a convenience channel to shop rather than a price-oriented channel. That's why if you look at Amazon, every day they put such a big emphasis on their daily deals, trying to have some street cred that they're affordable to shop from at the same time that they become a very expensive retailer to do business with. I'll say one quick thing about the grocery stores that would save me money if I would do this delivery, and I'll try the Walmart one, is um, the lack of impulse buys when you're in the store. Because that, at least for me, like I'm terrible about that. I see something and then I'll get something So if you spend $100 in the grocery store, what percent are things you did not go in there intending to buy of the 100? 20% So 20 bucks going in the toilet. Mm -hmm. And your typical grocery bill, is it 100 bucks? Mm Mm-hmm. It's about that. So the delivery from anybody would save you money. Right. Just because you eliminate the impulse buys. And um, you were cringing when I was talking about Walmart having like the world's worst. Well, no, I was just produce. agreeing. I, I remember seeing that when I would go in there to shop for groceries. And I was I just didn't love their produce generally. I think that's true. But I'm glad it's improved. It was a very polite way to say it. I didn't love their produce. <laughs> This is from Ronald in Virginia. Is there a reputable way to ship cars from Arkansas to Virginia? Yeah. So go to U-Ship. And this is not just Arkansas to Virginia. This is anywhere around the country. The letter U-Ship.com is kind of like a reverse auction site where you can put something you want to move. A car is a big category on U-Ship. Or moving stuff of yours or whatever Uh, moving a motorcycle, a boat, whatever. You put a bid for your move on U-Ship. You give your window of of when you need it picked up, 
when you need it delivered. And the wider a window you offer on pickup and the wider a window you put for delivery, the more bidders you'll have. And you'll be able to see the reputation reviews on a car moving service. And you'll see the various price bids. And I moved a car from the East Coast to the West Coast for my college daughter a year and a half ago. And it was a incredible process using UShip because I was getting some really great prices and then reading reviews of them. And one by one, they got eliminated. And I still ended up with what I thought was a really great price to move a vehicle 2,300 miles. And they were, uh, ex- they picked it up exactly when they'd say they picked it up. And they delivered it a day early on the West Coast. And uh, my daughter met the, the guy out in front of her apartment. And he had the, the big car trailer. And he unloaded the car right there for her, right in front of her building. That's awesome. And so uh, there may be other uh, bidding services like UShip, but that's the one that's really stood out to me and stood the test of time. This is from Kim in North Carolina. Do you recommend buying high-end diamond jewelry online? I'm in the market for an engagement ring, but not sure if it's a good idea. Kim, the key in buying a diamond ring online is you have to buy from a place that you have a right to return for a full refund, not a credit. Because if they misrepresented the goods in the first place or the quality doesn't seem like they promoted on the website and you don't have a right to your money back and all you have is a store credit, you're in the same bind returning it and exchanging it as you were in anyway. So as long as they have an unconditional right to return for a period of time, usually with the online sellers, you'll have two weeks to a month to return for a full refund, I think you're absolutely fine. And I want to pitch again, looking at a lab-created diamond. They are chemically identical to a dug-out-of-the-earth diamond, but what you get for your money is so much greater. I don't know what size diamond you're interested in, but um, as an example, the one that's owned by De Beers, is that called Lightbox? Mm-hmm. Lightbox right. Jewelry. They tend to sell a high-quality, one-carat, lab-created diamond for typically 800 bucks, plus the cost of the jewelry you'll have the diamond put in. And they do a lot of promotions for new customers where you get a deal up front. Does that show how much the diamond is? Let's see. No. So there's a button where you can discover, look at the lab-created diamonds, see what they're charging for them. But they're just one example of where you can get much more for your dollar. Here's a, a two-carat round brilliant uh, solitaire pendant necklace for 1950 That's very cheap for a two-carat diamond if the diamond, in fact, is of good quality and uh, color and clarity. But the lab-created diamond market is booming around the world because not only do you get much more for your money, but also if you're worried about 
the um, exploitation of the workers working in unsafe mines and all that, you eliminate that because they're just made in a factory. But again, they are chemically identical. From Melissa in North Carolina, I received a Visa gift card as a gift. When I went out to use it, all $100 had been used on $5 Google Play transactions. The card was not tampered with and had not been opened before attempting to use it. The same exact thing happened to a friend, same issuer, but purchased at a different retailer in a different state. How does this happen? I contact their, their customer service and Google, but got no help. I filed a complaint with the Better Business Bureau and the FTC. Please warn your listeners to stay away from these gift cards. And Clark, I found a news story in a different place about someone that lost $200 when she bought the same issuer's card. So since it since this was a TV story? Yes, it was a TV story. Go ahead and relate the TV it's, story and who the issuer is. So it was WKTR. No, but what's the type of card? Oh, it's a Vanilla Visa card. What is a Vanilla Visa? It, vanilla Visa is the issuer. I'll pull it up for you. I'm not familiar with Vanilla Visa, but uh, there is a terrible problem, terrible problem with gift cards that criminals have figured out defeats to be able to get the key access numbers off them, and they'll have a, a hot sheet of all the ones that they've compromised. Like this particular one, the Vanilla, is available at every major retailer you could think of, and then a lot of minor ones as well. And you're buying third party, a Visa product marketed by one vanilla, whoever they are, and criminals figure out, not just for this, but for any kind of gift card, how to defeat the security systems. You pay real money for it, or somebody who gave you one as a gift paid real money for it, and the criminals keep waiting till one's activated and then immediately use them, and the money is gone, and it is a terrible, terrible problem that has been growing exponentially. It is yet another reason why you should never buy gift cards. As far as the Visa MasterCard problem, you've got larger dollar amounts, typically, that people are buying when it is a branded Visa gift card. And there is no clear consumer protections in a situation like this. And I think one other place you should file a complaint is consumerfinance.gov, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And they get a lot of complaints about a particular issuer. It leads to an investigation and maybe possibly someday some of the money that has evaporated returning to your life. And I want to thank you for being with us today. I hope you've learned something from this. Please, if you've heard a tip that you think would be valuable to a friend or family member, please share it with them so they can be empowered in their wallet as well. And have a wonderful day.